sermon ever preached as Jesus taught us how to turn the world upside down. And it starts with this world, our heart. Turning our heart inside out, allowing our values to be shaped by God's values instead of our own. So today we're going to talk about anxiety. Anyone wake up a little bit anxious today? Anyone wake up a lot of bit anxious today? Sure. Anxiety is fun. It's not fun to talk about, but it is uh, important for us to look at this from a, a biblical lens, from a Jesus lens. But let's talk about anxiety just a little bit. I want to share with you guys, oh, this is our, our sermon series before we get into anxiety. So now you can just wait and be anxious about what we're going to talk about with anxiety. So um, we covered upside down world values that God turns things upside down. Uh, a few weeks ago, Esteban talked about the law of Moses and how it's really about the inside that matters. Uh, last week, um, Floyd was in town and he talked about prayer and, and just powerful prayer and what it means to pray. Uh, and, and we need to pray like Jesus told us to pray. Today we're going to talk about worryship or worrying and worship at the same time. And it's called Right Side Up. And then next week, uh, to kind of wrap up our series almost, we're going to be, uh, Dave Tharp is going to preach on decisions and really getting the inside right. But then we're going to continue the series, not necessarily with the Sermon on the Mount, but the same idea, the world turned upside down, and uh, that'll be our Easter service, to die is gain. We think to die is to lose everything, and yet in Christ, it really is to gain everything in Him. So that's going to be our Easter service, but I have a special announcement. We're going to be at a new location for Easter. So this is our second to last Sunday here. Next week, we will be uh, here as well. But then for Easter, we're going to be in a new location. So the building search committee uh, has been searching for a long time and made many phone calls, sent many emails, and prayed a ton. And, and God has led us to a wonderful spot. Now, I'm going to tell you where it is first, and then I'm going to tell you how awesome it is, okay? It is in Penn Hills. And if you're not on the east side of Pittsburgh, you're like, oh, that's... That's a different direction. I thought we were going to move closer to the city. And, and amen, I, we pray that God opens doors for that. But I did calculate it. It's about uh, three miles further. So on 376, it's four extra minutes, depending on how fast you drive. Uh, maybe two and a half. I'm not sure, you know, on your Sunday morning. But it's four extra minutes, and it's the same amount of time from 376 up to the location. So Penn Hill sounds a little bit further away, and I'm very grateful for those in South Hills or other places willing to make the drive. But the place that we have is amazing. We get to use all of their kids' classrooms and all of the, the toys and stuff in those classrooms, so we don't necessarily have to lug around all the toys everywhere. We can use their sound system, which is incredible. We don't have to set up the sound every morning and break everything down, which is really exciting. And it's a beautiful building. It's actually the old YMCA in Penn Hills. Some people, I think, grew up going to that YMCA when it was a YMCA, but uh, they turned it into a beautiful church, um, and it has a playground outside, it has a parking lot where you don't have to cross the street to get from the parking lot to church, so it's amazing stuff, and they're giving us an amazing, amazing deal, and uh, so we'll be meeting there starting Sunday, same time, 1030, we'll be meeting there Sunday, April 17th. I'll show you a couple pictures, they're not very good pictures, I'd rather you come and see how awesome it is, uh, but here's one picture, it's in the snow, I took this myself. But uh, the building that we're meeting at is called The Fold. It's a church building that they use on Saturdays. And uh, that's the sign for it. We'll have another Pittsburgh church sign outside when you guys come. And then that's a, also a picture on my phone. But that's the outside of the building. And those are the only two pictures I have. So just going to let you be anxious and anticipatory of what is to come. 
but uh, it's an amazing, you have to tilt your head a little bit when you look at that, but it's a, an amazing spot. It is, um, I, I put the address here so you guys can write that down or take a picture, that is the address, but uh, the because it's newly turned into a new place, that's actually not the exact address. That is the Rita's that's right at the turn. So it is walkable to a Rita's in case you needed one other selling point, but uh, that is just about the address. I'll get the actual address for you soon, but that will get you where you need to go. Get Rita's and then come to church, amen? Or get Rita's after church. But that is uh, our new location. And again, God has answered prayers and really made it clear that this is gonna be a great spot to call home for a while. So we've been a little bit like the Israelites, roaming from tent to tent and place to place. So amen, we're very excited about the new spot. You guys okay? Those that were talking about your anxiety earlier, you still feeling anxious? <laughs> well, my goal is to get everyone to feel a little bit anxious today. Um, that is uh, from our series we talked about, turning the world upside down. We define the world as this, a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized into a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. Or as we simplified a few weeks ago, a socially driven definition of value, values rather than God's definition. So when we talk about turning the world upside down, we're not saying, okay, the world is evil or we gotta be better than the world. It's not about better, it's about different. And it's about recognizing that God's way is better because it's different. And so recognizing that the world that we're talking about today when we talk about turning the world upside down is it's a socially driven definition of values that are different than God's. So as Christians, we want to hold to God's values instead of the rest of the world's. And so that's what we talk about when we talk about Jesus turning the world upside down. All right, now we can talk about anxiety. If you have a Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. That's the wrong verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 23. We're talking about anxiety. I'm going to show you some anxiety-inducing pictures that I found on the internet. This is one. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a basketball hoop right underneath a window. That's a little anxiety-inducing for some of us, right? Here's one. The dentist. And some really creepy faces at the dentist. That just, that causes my heart palpitations right there. How many of you have driven me behind a truck like this on the road? No? Nope, that's a, I'm going to pull over and wait, right? That's a nope. How about this? Let me know when you see it. It's a cup of water right on the edge. It's a little bit blurry, but for some of you, you're like, no, just pull it in. Just, just move it just a little bit. It's going to fall. Now, here's another one. You guys see that, that snake there? Would you like to know where this picture was taken? Frick Park, <laughs> where our 5K is today. <laughs> so it was taken a few years ago, but I think about this picture every time I'm running in Frick Park. I'm pretty sure that snake isn't there anymore, but I can't guarantee anything. Um, so if you needed a little more anxiety added to your morning, there it is, all right? If you don't see the snake, don't worry about it. So how many of you have heard the phrase before, just don't worry about it? You know, you share your anxiety, something you're anxious about, something you're stressed out about, and someone says, you know what, just don't worry about it. It's going to all be okay. How does that feel when someone says that to you? Dismissive? Makes you maybe upset? You're like, no, I, I, I didn't really fix the problem. You know, if there was a button to turn off my worries and my anxieties, I would love that, but it doesn't exist. So you telling me not to worry about it, it doesn't solve the issue. A few months ago, 
Elena and I were in West Virginia, and I was planning in the morning on going on this hike that I tend to go on and kind of be alone with God uh, and, and kind of do some rock scrambling and things like that. And uh, she woke up around 4 a.m. and she said, I'm really nervous about your, your trip in the morning. You know what I said? Something along, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. And we, we talked and we prayed and it was going to be okay. And I was like, ultimately, I was like, I'll be careful, but don't worry about it. Well, a few hours later, I was hiking and I slipped and I hit my toe on a rock and I broke it. <laughs> so though I said, don't worry about it, it didn't change that something bad could happen, right? Um, I almost had my 127 hours moment, you know, where I'm stuck out there with no one, but, but I was okay and my toe has now healed. But saying don't worry about it, it doesn't work. Don't worry, it don't work, right? We can't just say don't worry, it doesn't take away our anxieties or our fears. So that makes it a little challenging when we read this text that we're going to read today. So let's go and read together Matthew 6, if you know that, Matthew 6, verses, uh, starting in verse 25. Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what does Jesus say here? It's a little bit tricky, huh? He, it, we kind of hear something along the lines of, don't worry, because that's what the non-believers do. Instead, seek first his kingdom, and everything will work out. And we don't, we may not say that out loud, and we have this, these stipulations we throw in, but I know I've taught this passage that way. Don't worry, God will work everything out. But what about when things don't work out? You know, the biblical scholars would call that interpretation of the scripture the marlification of Jesus. The marlification of Jesus. Bob marlifying the words of Jesus. Don't worry about a thing. Every little thing's going to be all right. That, that's not what Jesus is saying. You've got to watch out for the marlification of the teachings of Jesus. Amen. Because again, we experience something a little bit different than everything's going to be okay. Maybe you've chosen to seek God first. And your dreams for your career that you thought would land into place because you sought God first haven't landed into place. Maybe they're dead dreams. Maybe the relationship status you were hoping for because you sought God first is not there. Maybe you've experienced heartache, death, money problems, and unanswered prayers. And you think to yourself, I have sought God first. Where's my everything else? My... I think we've all experienced that a little bit. 
Again, I would love to read this passage and say, don't worry, it's all going to work out. Amen, let's go run with the snakes. You know, let's go do our thing. But again, we've got to be careful with our interpretation because when we look at God's word with Western eyes, we're going to read it from a place of entitlement, that we're somehow entitled to everything going the way that we think it should go. And nobody outside of Americans would interpret this passage this way. There are Christian refugees that we're, we're talking about uh, in Ukraine or outside of Ukraine right now that have sought God first, and where's their everything? There are people who have sought God first, millions of people seeking first His kingdom who are currently hungry and have no food. So how can they read this passage and say, okay, praise God, I have what I need. They literally don't have what they need. Again, it's only us, only Americans that read this and think everything should go how I want it to. I hold up my end of the deal, God. You hold up your end of the deal, God. I'll go to church when I can. We're good, right? But we're not entitled to that. So we got to get real with this passage, all right? We're going to get a little bit into the Word of God today. To be honest, I have a problem with what Jesus says here. Right? He says, look at the birds. You ever thought about, okay, okay, look at the birds. Birds? Like, birds die. <laughs> Just look at a window, right? Birds go through challenges. It's not like, look at the birds. Everything goes well for birds. Right? At this time, birds were sold all the time at the marketplace. Right? And so it's not like, look at the birds. Everything goes well for birds all the time. So I read this. I'm like, okay, I'm looking at birds. You know, here's my chicken sandwich. I'm not, I'm not so sure that's what this is meaning to, to say. And so sometimes, again, we go through hard things and the, and the, the teachings of Jesus that we kind of cling to almost become this cliche and, and feed into our entitlement. I want to talk about an amazing woman of faith this morning named Elizabeth Elliot. And by me talking about it, I'm actually going to have Elena come up and talk about some of the challenges in her life. Basically, a not-so-fun facts about the life of this incredible missionary, Elizabeth Elliot. Awesome. Yes, I have been super into her lately. I read her a book about her um, from Women's History Month last month and was just, if you haven't talked to me recently, I probably mentioned her um, because she's just incredible. So in the 1950s, she went to be a missionary in Ecuador and was going to the jungle of Ecuador, going to the Colorado Indians of San Miguel, Ecuador. And she was going to learn their language and transcribe it to be a written language because it wasn't a written language before. And then she was going to have the Bible translated into their language. So she goes over there. She's a young, single woman. This is her first missionary journey. And it's hard. She's in the jungle of Ecuador. Most of her time is spent trying to get water, trying to get food. There's no, like, convenience foods out there. Um, Trying to fight away different snakes and she gets scabies and she just like faces just living and she's like how can i do my missionary journey while i'm spending so much time just surviving um but so she's trying to find someone who would speak this language to her and to kind of be patient with her to learn it Um, but there's really not many people that really want to do that they were kind of a little bit weary of the white people a little bit weary of, you know, what is your purpose? I don't really care about your money right now. Like, that doesn't really have anything to do with my lifestyle. But she finally, after praying a lot, finds this person, and he speaks Spanish and Colorado Indian language. And she's like, wow, this is perfect. He's like the only one that I've ever found that 
can, is bilingual in both these languages. And she had been trained in Spanish as well. And so she was working with this man. He you know, wanted a job and was able to get some, she was able to pay him. And it was going really well and like doing a lot of work. And then two months later, he was murdered. And, and she was like, um, God, like this is who I asked for. And then you took him away? Like, what? And it was murdered over a land dispute. Um, and she like saw him like right afterwards with the bullet in his head. And it's just like, oh, okay. And then she struggles to find someone else that will be able to be patient with her and try to learn this language. And um, she, she does like, she does a lot of hard work. And um, after my months, she has a whole lot of stuff compiled of their language has written all these things down. And again, this is like the 1950s, so it was all handwritten on paper. There was no internet. There was no like Wi-Fi over there in the jungle. There was nothing like that. So she had it all handwritten, and she goes to another place on a missionary journey, and is kind of like, okay, we'll keep my work up. And then she receives a letter. All of your stuff, all of your paper, all of your work is gone. It was stolen never recovered. Nine months of all that work, completely erased. There's no like second copy of it somewhere else. Completely gone. And she's just like, God, like, what? what? Why was I there for nine months? Why did this happen? And then again, this is like highlights of some, lowlights of some of her life. But um, she marries another missionary who's in Ecuador. And um, after 18 months of marriage, they have a you know they have this 10 month old baby. She hears news that her husband was murdered. He went to another colony, and the Indians there thought he was a cannibal. And so in this misunderstanding, they murdered him, even though he was there to give them the gospel. They didn't understand that. She lived with those people that murdered her husband and continued to share the gospel with them and try to learn them and serve them. I'm like, what? She's like, okay, I'll just be single. Like, that kind of marriage was kind of crazy. Like, I didn't think I was going to get married. And then, lo and behold, there comes another man, and they get married. And then three years later, he gets cancer and dies. So this woman is, like, just serving this God and loving this God who's like, wait, what? What are you doing here? It's a God that she doesn't always prefer. And I, in her books, I've really loved seeing her story of just seeing, wow, this is, this is real. This isn't like, she's not sugarcoating it. She's just like, this is some real stuff that's happened, and it's having to refine my faith in it. Thank you. It has been fascinating to learn about this woman, but what a great example of, okay, I'm, I'm seeking God first, but the life that I think I should get is not happening. And so um, when we look at the words of Jesus and we line it up with uh, the life of a faithful Christian, we're faced with a problem, a tension that is in need of resolution. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is resolve the tension. Either Jesus is wrong here and he's knowingly lying to us about things working out or our interpretation is in need of adjustment. And that's what we're doing today is, is reinterpreting this scripture and allowing Jesus to turn our perspective upside down. So I have for you today one disclaimer and three important words from this passage. All right, one disclaimer. The disclaimer is this. When it comes to worry, worry is actually a good thing. It's actually a God thing. God has given us the ability to worry and to contemplate what could happen. And sometimes we, we take that too far, which we're going to talk about in terms of anxiety. 
But I read a fascinating book by Max Licato, and it just, it, it leads off with, God has given us worry. Makes sense. If you're near the edge of a cliff, and you're not worrying about the height <laughs> that lies before you, that's not good. There should be some sense of worry. And if you replace the word worry with concern, it all makes sense. Okay, I should have concern about this. If you're concerned about your friend, there should be concern there where you say, hey, can we talk? I'm a little bit concerned here. Or where you might be worried about, okay, I, I need to, to fill this out or I need to, to pay my taxes. Or I need, when we have concern and concern and worry kind of rub up against each other, but that is a God-given thing, a God-given ability for us to think about the future. Where it becomes a problem is where our, uh, we become consumed with the future, consumed with things that we can't control, and then we become obsessive and we actually start worshiping the things we worry about. So let's talk about these words, all right? Word number one is the word therefore. So back in this passage, verse 25, one word in this passage I want to highlight is the word therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, it's really important to go a little bit backwards to see what it is there for, right? What, what is being referenced here? Why is it there for? All right, so let's read a little bit more starting in verse 19. You guys still with us? All right, verse 19 says, Don't store up for yourselves uh, treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For I, for, sorry, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Sometimes we read the Sermon on the Mount like it's, the uh, bits of thought nuggets on the mount, right? That it's not one continual sermon that, that Jesus is presenting us. You know, here's just a lot of nice thoughts that are separated. It's one sermon that's interconnected. And so Jesus, when he says, therefore, he is connecting our worry to our treasure. He's connecting the things that we're anxious about to the things that we value or the things that we treasure. Therefore, he's, he's making this connection. Um, what do you treasure? As this passage talks about, it, it's kind of revealing, are, are we treasuring and valuing the things of God? Or are we treasuring and valuing the, the things of this life? The things that will not last. You know, the things of this world that people treasure that simply will not satisfy. The clearest example that Jesus gives here is money. Money will not buy us happiness. Long before the poet Biggie Small said it, Jesus essentially said, more money, more problems. He said, money won't satisfy. Take a look at the, the U.S. In 2011, so even uh, over 10 years ago, uh, U, you know, USA is known as the uh, wealthiest country in the history of the world. And yet, we have 253 million anxiety medication prescriptions a year. 253 million. There's only 311 million people in the U.S. The U.S. makes up 5% of the world's population and yet 90% of the medications for anxiety in the world. That's pretty wild. And I'm not knocking medication for anxiety and things of like that, but it kind of shows, okay, we have all this wealth, but it doesn't seem to be solving the issue. 
And that's what we tend to think. If I just had blank, and it may not be money, it may be something else. If I just had this relationship, if I just had this ring, if I just had this job, if I just had this thing, then blank. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You can't live that way and worship God at the same time. Not like you probably shouldn't. You cannot serve both God and money. And you're like, well, I'm going to try. No, no, you can't. Jesus said you cannot do it because you're going to start despising one. You're going to think you're worshiping God, but actually despising him in the process. And what's crazy about this is the word serve simply means worship. You can't worship God and money. And Jesus doesn't say money here. He says mammon, which was the God of wealth in this time period. It's the only time that Jesus mentions another deity. The only time that Jesus says, okay, there's, there's, there's something out there that, that could have control over your life. And obviously he doesn't believe in another God, but we know that a desire for wealth can do what? Consume us, can have power over us. And so Jesus is saying, you can't do both. It's physically impossible. Therefore, don't worry about your life. So what does this reveal for us? Our worries reveal the object of our worship. Let's skip through here real quick. Our worries reveal the objects of our worship. The stuff we worry about shows the stuff that we're truly worshiping. If you're worried about money, which is normal, we, we, all, we all face different financial challenges, but if we're worried and consumed with anxiety about money, then our life is going to worship and we're going to just be thinking about um, our, our financial investments. We're going to be consumed with, how's this going? Okay, uh, I need to spend money here. I need to do this. I need to do that. I, I got to hang on to this. I can't give this away. I got I to gotta keep control. If we're worried about youth and beauty, what does your life look like? Well, I'm going to obsess over, okay, this and that, and I'm going I'm to buy this and make sure that I stay young. At least when I look in the mirror, I can have the sense of youth and beauty. Right, I'm going to switch a little bit. If we're worshiping popularity, what's the stuff we worry about? Our reputation. What do people think about me? Why did I say that one thing? Oh my gosh, what do they think about me now? And what if I post this? Is anyone reading my post? Answer, no. You know, what if I do this or do that, right? We get consumed with our reputation. If we're worshiping marriage or the idea of marriage, we're consumed with, well, what did this, this guy think? Or what did this girl think? And is this going to go the way that I want it to go? And maybe I should look outside of the Christian faith and maybe there's something better. And then we, we start to lose what God has called marriage to actually be. If we start worshiping our comfort and our security, what do we worry about? Is this going to make my life harder or easier? And God may be calling us to the harder option, but if we're worshiping our comfort and security, we're going to worry ourselves out of what God is calling us toward and choose what's more comfortable and what's easier. For me, and this has been one of the most anxiety-inducing weeks of my life. It's great that I get to preach on this passage, right? It's not really fair. I'm like, okay, you know, the Bible says preach the word in season and out of season. This is definitely an out of season week for me. And it's a myriad of different things. Some of it's good stuff, right? Good st I'm excited about the 5K, but there's some details. There's excited about the new place, but there's details. And then there's other stuff that's just been hard this week. And I had to think as I'm, I'm preaching on this, what is the stuff I'm worried about and anxious about revealing about what I worship? And the answer for me is I worship control. If everything could just be in its place, then I can be happy. That's my, if, every, if, if this can just be blank, if I can just have more blank, if I can just have more control, then I can be more satisfied. And God, I believe, is exposing in my life that my worries 
reveal a desire to worship a sense of control. You know, I, I'm tasked with the role of shepherding the church. And I, I, I want to be a good shepherd. I want to reflect Jesus. And I want to make sure everyone's taken care of. And, and I have a responsibility to that, but I can't control that. I can, I can do what I can. I can follow the scriptures, but I can't control that. And I, I'm learning this lesson. And my worries are exposing what it is that I worship. So my question to you is pretty simple. What are your worries exposing? What is it that you worship? You know, and not all anxiety is rooted in idolatry, but I believe a vast majority of it is. And so that word, therefore, is pretty important in this passage. Let's talk about another important word in this passage. The word, birds. <laughs> the birds in the sermon are fascinating to me for a few reasons. One, Jesus is outside. So when he says, look at the birds, he's pointing to actual birds. Uh, maybe you've known that your whole life. I learned that in one of Jack's like kids' Bibles a few, uh, few years ago, and I was like, whoa, it was fascinating to me. And you're like, we've always known that. But anyway, for me, it was, it was wild to think about. There were some birds probably flying around. But again, the birds are not, the, the analogy about birds isn't there to show that everything's going to work out. We know that because he gives this analogy about flowers. And you're like, oh, the flowers. And we somehow read this as God saying, look at the flowers, look at the birds, see, this feels so nice, it's okay. That's not what he's saying. What does he say about the flowers? He says, the next day they do what? They end up in the fire. <laughs> we never quote that passage, right? <laughs> we skip that part about the fire, you know, the flower. You're a flower to God that's going to be thrown in the fire the next day. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> but what the flowers are a metaphor for fragility of life. And he's saying, okay, it's going to be glorious in the moment, but you don't look at a flower and, and see it worrying about what's coming next, even though what is next might be destruction. And it's enjoying being a flower because that is what God has called it to do right now. And it's, it's glorious and it's, it's full of splendor. You don't look at a bird and see it worrying. Even the ones in Home Depot, they seem at peace. We don't look at birds and see, oh man, this, this bird is really stressed out. I listened to a commentary about this, and they said, squirrels, yes, but birds, no, right? That's why God doesn't say, look at the squirrels, and we would get anxious. He says, okay, we, we, they just are. They're just with God. They're just living out their role in creation. And, and Jesus is saying, be like the, not just be like the birds, he's saying, I love you so much more than that. I love you so much more than flowers. And it uses kind of the rabbinic idea of how much more. If this is how God takes care of and looks after and loves these seemingly minor uh, parts of creation, how much more so does God care about you and is he with you in whatever it is that you're going through? That may not mean that you're not going to go through it, but it doesn't mean that you're going through it alone. He's going to be with you. As uh, we, we talked about in, in the pandemic, I think round two of the pandemic, somewhere in 2021, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds it. We know it's with God. You know, later in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about greatness, and he's posed with this question. So similar to birds and flowers, you know, he's, uh, these disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's kind of an interesting question to ask. Then Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who's the greatest? Jesus grabs a four-year-old and says, right here. And you know what's amazing about 
children, they don't spend a lot of time stressing about the future. You know, if you might be going through financial challenges or we have different things going on in our house that we're trying to figure out. My son has the audacity to not stress about those things. He doesn't care about our budget. Hey, Dad, is this within our budget? You know, I'm like, you know, he's like, can I, can we go to Kennywood or can we go to Disney World? I'm like, oh, I don't have enough money. He's like, I have some quarters. Like, we should be good. I don't see what the big deal is. I'm like, okay, okay, man. Now, if I sit down with Amelia Rakowski and say, what's your plan for the next five years? She's probably like, I don't know, just play with mom and dad and learn, you know, learn in school. Like, kids are not stressed out about the future. They just are. They're just living life. And she is saying, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Be like them. Maybe I've told this story. I, I love this story, so if I've told it before, sorry, not sorry. But uh, one day I was talking to Jack not that long ago, and he was talking about Yes Day, which is a movie that came out recently. I think the Rakowskis and the Perezas watched that at some point or talked about Yes Day, which is basically mom and dad have to say yes to everything that the kids do. We did not agree to those terms, but I asked him if that was the case, because that would be a little bit crazy. I don't know what they would ask for, but if, if I had to say yes to anything you ask, what would you want? I was curious of his answer. You know what he said? He said, I'd ask you to play with you. I'd ask you to play with me and you'd have to say yes. I was like, like Disney World, Legos, that play with me? That's all you want? Of all the things in the world, my son just wants to play with me. The greatest are the hearts of children. Of all the things we want, let's just be with God and be connected to God. Then he said he wanted $100 million after that. So amen. <laughs> it's a learned, a learned world. But let us be with God and have that heart. This is how Jesus wants us to live, to live like a son or daughter, knowing that God will take care of us. Not that we will be without trouble. Jesus ends the whole thing with, today has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> this will be the worst like self-help ending. Okay, go out and do a great, you know, don't worry about a thing. Today's going to have a lot of trouble. <laughs> In fact, enough trouble just today. It's like, okay, great. I'm glad I paid for this, you know, <laughs> sermon, seminar or whatever. But Jesus is not saying that the trouble's going away. He's saying, don't waste your time reliving the trouble before it even happens. Because right. I'm going to be with you through it. All right, the last word I want to highlight here is the word run. And yes, that is because we have a 5K today. But Jesus doesn't just say, don't worry about it, and then leave it at that. That's the middle of, of what's being said here. He says, don't run after these things because that's what the pagans do. And sometimes in our modern ears, we hear like that's what the pagans do, and it sounds like a kind of an old like, oh, the pagans are terrible. It's just that's what unbelievers do. That's what people who, who are not committed to Jesus as their Lord. It's not derogatory at all. He's just saying that's what people live like when they're atheistic. And so it's a challenging aspect for us today that we're most atheistic when we're worried and filled with anxiety and not trusting in God. That we're looking like someone who doesn't believe in God. He says the pagans run after these things, but he says, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The word for seek first is the same word for run. <laughs> Be great if it was translated the exact same, right? But it says the pagans run after these things, but you run after his kingdom and his righteousness. That the, the life that we're meant to live isn't just passive. Okay, don't worry, I'll just sit back. No, what we're meant to do is run towards the things of God. To, to run after these things. The way I define that is we've got to be willing to make God our ultimate. To make God our ultimate. 
that we're consumed with the things of God, that we love the things of God, that our life is defined by things of God. If someone a hundred years from now were to study your life, read through your text messages, check your internet history, talk about the things that you spent your time on, look at your calendar, what would they say was your ultimate? If some very bored anthropologist were to look through your life a hundred years from now, what would they say was your ultimate based on the way that you're living? Jesus says we're meant to make him and his kingdom our ultimate. For some of us, that was a way that we once lived, but now it's in the history books. That's not how we're living today with God as our ultimate. For some of us, we know it's on our to-do list. I want to live with God as my ultimate, but I'm going to get around to it as soon as I take care of these other things or as soon as I get this other stuff. But God is calling us today because why? Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, but today to make God our ultimate. If you treasure the wrong stuff, it leads to anxiety. But if you treasure God, if you make him your ultimate, it does set us free. We can live a no-regrets life, an anxiety-free life, a life that counts. But we must be willing to take the time to make God a priority. I wish I had a list of practicals. I don't. I, I believe that all of us are, are, can listen to the Holy Spirit and decide, what is God telling me I need to prioritize? What is the one thing that comes to mind when you think about prioritizing God and his kingdom? Run after that. You know what it is better than I do, but run after it. Put in the effort. You know, don't, some of us are walking the 5K, that's awesome. But run after the things of God and making Him our ultimate. You know, we started uh, talking about how things don't tend to work out and we can sometimes doubt God. We talked about the, the, the life of Elizabeth Elliot. And things did not go well as she sought after God. But I want to share some of her quotes. And I, I meant to share one, and there's like six that I'm going to share with you because they're really inspiring for someone who went through such suffering. So let's look at these uh, together. Let me skip through here. Here's one. This is Elizabeth Elliot. Towards the end of her life, she said, there's nothing worth living for unless it's worth dying for. Think about these coming from the, the voice of someone who suffered terribly even though she sought God first. She also said, leave it all in the hands that were wounded for you. Leave it all in the hands that were wounded for you. You can never lose what you have offered to Christ. You can never lose what you have offered to Christ. The will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. This one isn't about uh, suffering, but I just liked it. She says, if your goal is purity of heart, be prepared to be thought very odd. <laughs> if your goal is to live a life with a pure heart, be prepared to be thought very odd. That'd be a good, like, tweet, you know? That's pretty good. This is the one I want to close with. Today is mine. Tomorrow is none of my business. If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I will strain my spiritual eyes so that I will not see clearly what is required of me now. I'm going to read it one more time. Today is mine. Tomorrow is none of my business. If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I will strain my spiritual eyes so that I will not see clearly what is required of me now. As inspiring as those quotes are, I want to end with the scripture as we head into communion. Because in Christ, not just because things are going to be okay, but in Christ, because of his death and his burial and resurrection, we have hope. 
hope that supersedes any challenge that affects us. With God as my rock, and Jesus, because of his sacrifice for me, I can have something that no hardship can ever take away. A treasure that can never rust or spoil. That's what I have in Christ. And this is one of my favorite definitions of it. I'll read this, and then we'll pray for, um, we'll pray for the communion. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll start actually in, uh, in verse 5. It says this. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Skipping ahead to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, and there's enough in each day, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is, uh, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of, of having concern, for the gift of being able to, to look into the future and, and make decisions. But God, I also thank you for the gift of being, will, being able to live anxiety-free, able to live in such a way where I can put my hope in you, where I can worship you and not try to sneak in other, other things to worship. God, thank you for the cross that makes this possible. Thank you for the treasure that we have as we are simply jars of clay, broken, batted around, um, seemingly not special, but what we hold in you gives us great value. Thank you that it can never be taken away. This treasure that we have can never be taken away. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter our resistance to you at times or our rebellion against you, God, you will never withhold your love for us. God, and I, I, I pray that for us as a church, for us as a people, God, that we can cling to that and that can lead us to worship you, and to hand our worries over to your wounded hands. In Jesus' name we pray.